0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast
1: One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.
0: If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited World Class Treatment Center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. Sports are starting to come back, and Podcast
2: One Sportsnet has got all the action covered. With tons of different sports podcasts, there is something for everyone. Check out The Rich Eisen Show for your daily coverage, The Steve Austin Show for your favorite stories from Steve Austin's amazing career, The DeGans with Meta Militia star Brian Deegan and his extreme sports-loving family, plus many more. As sports return, be sure to tune in to all the great podcasts with Podcast One Sportsnet so you don't miss any action. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Rui, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Dan Feldman of NBC's Pro Basketball Talk, somebody who knows the entire league well, and that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. Well, not the entire league, mostly 22 teams of the entire league, but wanted to go through and really talk about the bubble, what teams are playing for, and... What makes each team interesting? What we're going to be watching for? And I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Brought to you by Bet Online. Use the podcast one promo code to get your sign up bonus. And of course, tell them you came from us. And you can also listen at the very very end of this podcast. There's an interview with Dave Dameshek and Dave Mason of Bet Online. And to get you excited about sports, in case you weren't already sufficiently excited about sports, you can check that out at the end of this podcast. Um, but before that, still a lot of great conversation with Dan Feldman. And I hope you really enjoyed. Thanks so much for coming
1: on. Thanks for having me.
2: What I thought would be a, a fun exercise, you and I, especially uh, you and I, both really follow the whole league, and we have these twenty-two teams that are going into the bubble. So I thought we'd kind of talk about each one of them a little bit, kind of where they could go from a seating perspective, and then what we're looking forward to, both in the bubble and in the playoffs. But we'll focus on the bubble for the teams that that's all they have to look forward to. And uh, we'll start at the top of the East, and that's the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks, it's it, it's a kind of a weird, an unusual situation within this bubble because. They both don't really have anything to play for in seeding purposes because the only team that could even really potentially threaten them is the Lakers, and we have no discernible advantage for what, what a team can get for home court in the NBA Finals, so it doesn't really matter there, and the difference between the Bucks and the Lakers is they're going to have a soft first-round opponent, so they can kind of get right then if they have to, so I think they might be a little bit more judicious with Rust, but is going to have to manage the rest versus Rust
1: it's interesting because one of my theories for this bubble is that you know when teams rely on their stars for big minutes usually in the playoffs I don't think it's going to be that easy to do because of the long layoff and everybody trying to get back into shape like I think depth is going to be important which I think favors the bucks and maybe they can build up in a different way but also maybe this year uh, they'll rely on Giannis for bigger minutes.
2: Oh, let's hope. I mean, that's Budenholzer has been super conservative with star minutes basically throughout his coaching tenure. I remember going crazy about that at a couple moments when he was on the halt when he was coaching the Hawks. And the Bucks this year have some they have some question marks. I mean, they've gotten they have some more versatility on the forward line now that they have Marvin Williams, so you can play Williams and Giannis at the four and the five. But I've wondered a little bit, even though Dante DiVincenzo has looked a lot better being healthy this year whether they're going to miss Malcolm Brogdon.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think if they miss him, it, it would be at point guard is where I'm a little more. Oh, there could be right. shooting guard too, right? Uh, but but at point guard also, and I know they didn't have him play him that as much, but they could have, and they chose Eric Bledsoe as their point guard. And I think Eric Bletzel's pretty darn good at a good season. This year had a good season. Last year, I think he's a good player. He hasn't been good in the playoffs. And I don't know whether that's small sample. I don't know whether there's something about playoff Uh, style or maybe even pressure that gets to him. But he hasn't been good as a team with championship hopes – and it's hard. It's going to be hard for the Bucks to win a title unless Eric Bledsoe plays at least close to the level he usually plays during the regular season. And I think that's possible, but we haven't really seen it. There have been some some tough moments for him. It's almost wait and see mode for me.
2: Right. And the the challenge for Milwaukee is and you get to think of this in broad strokes for various playoff teams is that you have to be ready for when a team could take away what you do best. I mean, they're not necessarily going to run into a team quite like Toronto last year who could who could kind of be immune to what Milwaukee did defensively because of what Kawhi does, but then also take away what the Bucks want to do offensively. They're not necessarily going to run into that team in the East, but you do have to conceptually be ready for a team that could take away what you want to do. And a lot of times that's going to put more onus on your secondary playmakers, on the guys that, you, that you're comfortable with having the ball but aren't your main guy. And that was Bledsoe and Brogdon, and now it's more Bledsoe and... Question mark? Maybe Middleton gets some of that creation. He did do a good job in the non Giannis games this year, but it, it's a lot to ask. And like, it's it, the Bucks are this phenomenal regular season team, and I think they have a very good chance of winning the championship. But maybe it's because you can't. You kind of can't feel it until you do. But I just, you know, I think that. I mean, I, they're my heavy favorite in the East. But it, you know, I don't know if you have that same little like. It's not. It's not like. Doubt like that they can win it's just doubt that you know like that it's going to all necessarily come together,
1: well I think it's interesting how that's going to play out because I am convinced the bucks are an awesome, awesome team, like i don't yes. need to be sold on them, but I think there are several other teams that don't view them that way that aren't afraid of the bucks, but I think the bucks are the type of team that would typically instill fear in their opponents. And I don't know how that's going to play out. Like, I don't know if that's going to make their opponents overconfident that they feel that way, or maybe it's healthier to feel that way not to, to fear your opponent. Maybe that makes the Bucks more susceptible, even though they're playing just as well as the teams that, that make their opponents fear them. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I really do believe that other teams don't view them as strongly as I think you and I do.
2: That could very well be true. And I mean, the... Having so few players that really have that playoff pedigree, even on other teams, I mean they they don't really have that many guys that have had this pronounced success. A lot of guys actually who have some more futility in their past rather than rather than real success. That is something worth keeping an eye on. A team that has less futility in their immediate past is the Toronto Raptors. Raptors are forty six and eighteen, and functionally that means it would be very hard for them to fall out of the two seed. The, the line that I've been using is that if they go five hundred, Boston has to basically go undefeated in order to jump them for the two. And that's not going to happen. I don't think either one of those is, is going to is as talented as Boston is. But remember, you're you're only facing the top twenty two teams, so there isn't even a way to get fat necessarily in the same way. So Toronto, I, I think one of the most interesting questions for me for them, and you'll hear me use this phrase a couple times in this podcast, is defining success. Now they're coming off of a championship. This isn't the same team, but being the two seed in the East is is a big success for me. But How does management see it? How does ownership see it? And remember, they have a lot of big decisions to make. And so if they make it to the conference finals, that's probably a success. But if, let's say, they lose to the Celtics, how do they see that?
1: Yeah, it's already a successful season. I I did uh, pressure rankings coming into the year, uh, 1 through 30, which teams faced the most pressure, and they were dead last. Like, they won the championship— They can feel good about it and they should feel great. They should feel great about it and they should also feel great about the run they've already put together this year. uh, To have this type of success in the aftermath, like if things just go absolutely wrong and they lay an egg in the first round and lose, like I don't don't expect that to happen by any means. Like they still ought to feel great about where they are because they just won a championship.
2: Also, this is a fantastic year in the East to be the two seed because the two faces. A week seven, we'll talk about those teams a little bit later. And you're also on the opposite side of the bracket as the Bucks. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy sledding because the Celtics or whoever makes it out at that 3-6 will like that could end up being a challenge. But there are some years and, and including this year in the Western Conference where the two seed isn't that fantastic a place to be, but I, I think that Toronto, like it, it it could be a real benefit for them just not having to go through the same amount of bodies and talented teams as Boston might have to.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, to, in that first round, uh, we're going to talk about the 76ers. I, I don't know if we expect the 76ers to stay sixth, but they're in sixth right now. And you know, that's a real tough first, uh, first round out at seventh, whoever it is uh, will not be,
2: <laughs> will, will not be. And, we can jump... Well, so I'll mention briefly I mean, that the Raptors, my big concern with them is is not defensively. They have a ton of talent on that end. Nick Nurse is a wonderful defensive coach, and they have intelligent defenders, great athletes, communicators, and they have enough versatility that I think they can go after a lot of different team strengths. But I worry that their offense is going to bog down. I mean, it's something that plagued the Raptors in earlier things. And yes, that was a different coach and different, you know, one different star player into Marta Rosen, but... When I've watched them this year, as as good as they've been, you know, I, I haven't really seen it in those boats of like, okay, we have to get a bucket. What are we going to do? And the other team is a really good defensive team, and that's part of why I don't have them in the top tier of championship teams. I have them, you know, a little bit below that, and there's no shame there. I mean, considering the departures they had without really replacing those guys with new additions. That's an impressive accomplishment, but I don't have them in the top tier.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that because to me, the top tier is only the Bucks, Lakers, and Clippers, but I do have the Raptors in that second tier because they're just really good overall, but it's especially defensively, and I've got the same concerns. I mean, Pascal Siakam is, I think, their go-to player now, although they're uh, somewhat equalitarian in, in, in their offense, but I, I think I think it's a credit to Pascal Siakam that he credibly looks like a fine go-to player. You know, given where he was two years ago, even last year, uh, that's not what he was. He was playing off Kawhi Leonard a lot. He just wasn't. He didn't have uh, all the offensive skills he's shown this year in his arsenal. It's a tremendous improvement. But he's still in over his head as a guy you're going to count on to get you a bucket in a tight moment against a set defense in the playoffs, like as much as he's advanced and is capable of doing that, he's not yet efficient at doing that.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And part of the reason I'm a little bit skeptical, we could jump to the Boston Celtics. The Celtics are pretty comfortable in the three seed, three games behind the Raptors and three and a half. Sorry, two and a half ahead of the Miami Heat, but also a better team than the Miami Heat. And with Boston, I'm really interested in, you know, Jason Tatum. The hiatus seemed to come at exactly the wrong time. He was really breaking out as an off the dribble pull-up force. And they have these talented defenders. And so I, I, I'm interested in what this team looks like. Kemba still dealing with these knee issues does put a damper on them. You know, that, I, that takes away some of their, like, really intriguing ceiling. But Boston, for me, it's a little bit more of a long-term play. You know, I, the, Their team is young enough, and if Kemba Walker could theoretically get healthier at a, at a future point, that I'm excited to see them this year, not only because they'll be a fun team to watch, but because I wonder where it's going.
1: Yeah, I they're interesting. I think for the same reason They they're good now and they could be even better. I I'm a believer in what Jason Tatum was doing. Uh, we need to see more, uh, but he took a step back a little bit last year, uh, at least based on the, the expected growth. If you take out last year, if you went from his rookie year when he just looked so promising to this season, I don't think we would have much hesitation about this being real. That would look like the natural well, progression. Well,
2: I think what's different is that while he was a very efficient player his rookie year, this is so much more self-created. Like he ramped up the degree of difficulty that if he could be this efficient on this degree of difficulty, then it's a he's a very different player than we're starting to talk about, you know, potential maybe all NBA consideration. Considering he's a valuable help defender, I think Tatum's defense can be overrated at times, but overrated does not mean bad. Overrated just means overrated. And I think that the support players also for Boston, I mean, we we, we talked a lot about justifiably the, how Brown and Tatum and some of those other high-profile young guys can improve. But remember, another year... Could be really useful for Robert Williams, Grant Williams, maybe figuring out some of their backup guard rotation. Romeo Lankford had some intriguing things. He still has a lot to work on. I don't think of him as a playoff player right now due to his limitations, but those early inklings, you know, like Danny Ainge has made a lot of bets and I think that they're, they're turning out really well so far, but I think there's still time Like, but it is that, that interesting challenge. I mean, Gordon Hayward is looking better physically than he did after that horrifying injury, basically like five minutes into his Celtics tenure. But he only has one more year. Kemba Walker is getting older. So I don't know what the arc is for the Celtics, but I do expect that their brighter days are ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are so good and so young that it it gives you multiple windows, right? Yes. you know yeah hayward's getting a little older kemba's getting a little older don't know that they're gonna make it to the second window Uh, but you can just be really good right now and and again another team like toronto that i look at as a second tier championship contender like you get enough right breaks you could win a title this year so it's nice to have that window open and uh, i bet there'll be some other window in the future around tatum and brown
2: I agree. And a team that I don't really have in that second tier, I just part of it is I, I just don't believe in their offense, though I think Miami's defense has been a little bit more challenging too is the Heat. The Heat are two games clear of the teams below them and then two and a half, as I mentioned, behind the Celtics. And with Miami, I mean, when it works defensively, like they have a lot they have a lot that I really like. Bam is a monster, Jimmy Butler can be a strong man, man defender, they have a lot of capable, intelligent players, but they also have more negatives. I mean that's a difference between them and let's say the Celtics, you know. Tower Hero is still figuring it out Duncan Robinson, I think is going to be attacked a lot in the playoffs. they play they can play Dragic. they can play Kelly Winnick and you know there, there aren't necessarily a ton of sieves there, but there are places to attack and while Spo has done a fantastic job overall and specifically with this team. I worry a little bit more about them on offense and defense to have them in the same tier, like if we're talking championships, as somebody like the the Raptors and the Celtics.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. But what I like about them defensively is they can match up with anyone. Bam is so versatile. Jimmy Butler is so versatile. Uh, Any style of offense, they can match up. And the guys you talked about being able to be attacked, yeah, I mean, they're weak links on this team. But they're good enough that if you're going to shift your entire offense to try and expose them and get out of what you do, they're not that bad of defenders, right? They're t- if you're taking uh, – if their opponent – if the Heat's opponents are taking themselves out of the game that way – I think that favors Miami
2: and Miami, absolutely they can win a series, and I even think they could they could win a series against the Raptors or the Celtics if things worked right for them. I mean, we've seen how some series can be really about a couple bounces of the ball, and but I just wouldn't expect them know to, to be I would have them most likely depending on who they could get in the four or five. I' have probably have them as the underdog in each series they play especially without home court mattering in that first round series, but they still have capability and and like I talked about with Boston. I'm excited for where these things go. I mean, remember Miami has spending power either in 2020 or 21. I assume that's going to be 21 because of the way Pat Riley likes to big game hunt. And because they have young guys who are getting better. I mean, bam is going to be improved. Teller hero is going to be a lot better. Duncan Robinson is a little bit older, but he still has room to improve as well. And they're, they're just kind of getting that Wayne Ellington playbook rolling. But I think there, I'm not sure you can take that many more threes, but I do think there are ways that he can be valuable to an offense. So I'm I'm really excited to see what they can bring, even if it's not like championship
1: upside. It's really cool how the Heat uh, transformed themselves because they were in a pretty stuck position not that long ago and they did it in so many different ways, right? You know, they they took advantage of their their market attractiveness to lure Jimmy Butler. Uh, they drafted really well to get BAM. Uh, you know, they were uh, picking around the edges to get Duncan Robbins and Kendrick Nunn and, and then that great trade, uh, I guess I'd say for Iguodala, but more so uh, to unload the contracts to get rid of Dion Waiters, to get j- rid of James Johnson, to open up that space and, you know, even get back contributors like Jay Crowder. It, it's really a tribute to the front office of making so many different types of quality moves and then. And them paying off together uh, into a good team with the upside to get even better over the coming years.
2: Well, yeah, you and I are are so into team building, and it often is more about the margins than about the the high end stuff. I mean, Miami actually worked the margins well enough to you know set the table for the for the the Heatles back in twenty twelve. Sorry, in twenty ten, they won the first title in twenty twelve. Um, but I, I think that these kinds of things are more like. How a front office can really add add wins to a team is you know working with your G League, finding Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson and making them into players within your system, and drafting well for the slots. Like it's not like they won the lottery and got the number two pick like the Grizzlies did with John Morant. No, they, they you know they've drafted well in the you know in the second half of the lottery, and that's exceedingly important. And they've developed those players too. And yeah, that that's that bodes well. We don't know what what things are going to be like for them long-term. But we can move to the Pacers. Currently, they are projected to be Miami's first-round opponent. They are tied with the Sixers at 39-26. And I think in some ways, the Pacers are the forgotten team. Part of that's just because they've been so incomplete this year. And because, I mean, we don't know exactly what's going on with Victor Oladipo, but... I, I, I want to be optimistic because I think they're another good story that they've been able to kind of persevere the way they have because not only is it Oladipo's missed time, but Brogdon's missed a bunch of time this year too, and J- Jeremy Lamb had that been injury, so he's out maybe this whole year and next year, but it just it just kind of feels like there isn't that much sizzle there even though it would excite me to see Oladipo back.
1: Talk to me about your Pacers excitement. I, I think you said that you would have the Heat as underdogs in any potential matchup. Is that uh, really? No, you know, not against it, the Pacers. Not against the Pacers. Uh, no, no, I, I love that you call the Pacers the forgotten team and then prove your own point by forgetting them. Uh, yeah, no, no, I was just because I,
2: I think the Sixers are going to pass the Pacers pretty cleanly. I haven't looked at like the schedules. I'm not chewed, counting their eight games or anything like that, but I just think the Sixers are the better team going into it. But yeah, I mean, how are you feeling about Oladipo? I mean, it's it's a complicated thing because he's been such a talented player when he's 100%, but I, we don't know what we're going to
1: get. Right. He was one of the... Uh, he was very, de- I would say, destructive to the Pacers when he came back, right? He's still playing like Victor Oladipo, taking a lot of shots, taking big responsibility, uh, but not able to do it, and that's fine, right? That's what happens when you come back from injury. Uh, I think he's going to play. Uh, he played in this this scrimmage, and that seems like a sign. It, it's hard for – I'd be surprised – at this point, I'd be surprised if he doesn't play. He's down there. He's making the sacrifice of being away from family, friends, all that. Might as well play if he feels up to it. And the fact that he played in the scrimmage makes me think he, he will feel up to it. Uh, but I also don't think he really changes their position. To me, the Pacers are – yeah, they're the forgotten team. I also think they're a fairly forgettable team. I think they're capable of winning a playoff series in the right matchup probably won't and i think that's true with or without Depot. that's just you know where this team is right now and that's only because it's the the coming back from injury still Depot. like if they had you know full star two-way player i'd say even underrated player when he was at his peak uh that'd be different but i just i can't really imagine them getting that Depot.
2: that's a great point and it's it's such a challenge to think about kevin pritchard's job this summer because he has to make a couple of tough decisions one of them is if there is even a middle ground to extend Victor Oladipo, that's going to be a big challenge. But also figuring out what to do with this front court, And I think even if it's a weird sample of the Orlando games and it's not 100% Victor Oladipo, getting that information to figure out what to do with this team is valuable because, I mean, without it and, – and even then, you don't want to read too much into the sample. Like if they you know, if they get flushed out of the first round pretty summarily by, the, let's say, the Celtics, that doesn't mean it's a disaster, blow the whole whole damn thing up. But – I can imagine Pritchard wanting to really see what this team can do because he put it together for a reason, and he hasn't really gotten that chance.
1: Uh, yes, I mean it'd be nice to see what they can do, but Victor Oladipo is headed toward free agency in twenty twenty one. Regardless, right? You can't just wait if you let him walk. That's losing a a really really good player for nothing. If you don't trade him or no sign and trade emerges, and uh, you know there might be that might be the right call. You might just have to wait it out. But I think just waiting for the exact perfect right amount of information is not the answer. You have to confront these decisions as they come, even with incomplete information.
2: Oladipo is also exactly the type of free agent that should scare a front office, not because of the injury history, but because of the third contract. So the way rookie scale players work is they have the first contract is completely determined by the league and the CBA. Second contract is largely, at least who they're playing for is dictated by who holds their rights. And Oladipo is a great example of that because he wasn't even on the team he's on now when when he agreed to that extension with Sam Presti and the Thunder. So. This is the first time that he gets to exert real agency, real control over the process, and while you know there might be some inclination, indications, inclinations about where what he wants to do, Oladipo Depot- <clears throat> Miami. <laughs> Oladipo could be very sought after because that I've written before at The Athletic about the the siren song that I think is true for the, the 2021 class. There's all this talent, but a lot of them are going to have very strong cases for the teams they currently play for. So then it becomes this kind of second tier, still very good players like Drew Holiday and Victor Oladipo, who then become the comparative bells of the ball. And so if Dallas or if New Orleans or yeah, maybe the Miami Heat, if they come calling, does Oladipo prefer it? Because if he does, then the Pacers risk losing him for absolutely nothing. And then they're sitting there kind of holding the bag. Oladipo, sorry, uh, Sabonis, Turner, Malcolm Brogdon, all on significant long-term contracts. You're, you're sitting there holding those guys, so you don't have a ton of flexibility, but you lost your best player.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough position. If I'm the Pacers, I'm doing everything I can uh, to gather information about what Oladipo wants. and. I don't know, like, and that doesn't mean not, it's
2: necessarily the right thing to like maximum and overpay him. Like that's not what I'm saying at not. all. It's not. It's not that. It's just. It's a really. It's a really complicated dance, and I. I don't know what the right decision is, but it's. I as you said, information is is a key part. Is a key part of it, and information is also going to be a key part of the story with the Philadelphia seventy sixers, who again tied with the Pacers at at thirty nine twenty six. They're not going to fall to seven, but they could move in the four five six range. And why information matters to them is the Sixers are largely, other than Josh Richardson, pretty set salary-wise. But being set salary-wise, because those guys are all in long-term contracts, does not mean that you're committed to that team. And what I'm really interested in is ownership's willingness to spend. Now, they were, they, they benefited from the process Sixers being incredibly cheap, the same ownership group, and now they're good, and typically you have to pay to maintain a good team. But committing to it and actually doing it are two different things and this off season is going to be where that rubber finally meets the road
1: right and coronavirus put such a, a variable on it because you know before the season they were pretty open that they were willing to spend they were willing to pay the luxury tax and you know their payroll could be so high it matters where in the luxury tax like oh sure you're willing to pay it But this team might not be able to retain its top players unless it's, you know, X dollars above the tax. Now we don't even know where the tax line is going to be. We don't even know if there is going to be a tax line. So it is so tough to predict. But you are right. Like the more the team wins this year, the more willing ownership uh, will be to spend. That's not necessarily how it should work. Right. If you're going to spend on future seasons, it should be based on how much better you believe that makes you in those future seasons. But really, the best predictor of that and maybe even overrated one, but still a good one, is your prior success.
2: Yeah, that's very true. And part of why the Sixers are so intriguing to all of us is because of this concept of their ceiling. I mean, they have incredible defensive talent, though it's not quite the same if they're going to bring Horford off the bench. You know, the idea that they could have like four really good defenders and and Tobias Harris. That looks like it might be it might be three really good defenders, Tobias Harris and Shake Milton, or other guys like Kirk Maas and all the other different options, Glad like GR three and everything else that they can throw out there. But they still have immense talent and Joel Embiid I I still think that there's that there could be that there will be times that he is the best player in a series. And I don't know if that's gonna be necessarily against the teams they're gonna face, but those are the sorts of things that can make a team outperform their seed, having high-end talent, not really getting everything together during the regular part of the season, but thinking that maybe it could come together now.
1: Yeah, I heard a theory, and I don't know if I buy it, but it seems plausible to me. So everybody talks about the the uh, enormous home-road split for the 76ers. They're great at home, terrible on the road. What does that mean for neutral site games? And the theory I heard is basically look at Joel Embiid and I buy this part of it. Joel Embiid is learning what it takes to compete in the playoffs. Uh, He he was younger before he was just, you know, there was a game. He was trying to win it. Like he didn't know how to pace himself through a long season. Uh, He gets banged up. He might run out of gas. Like he wasn't the same player at the end of last season. And so the theory is that maybe the way Joel Embiid is pacing himself is by just not trying that hard during road regular season game. So if it's that simple, if it's just flipping a switch. Maybe this team is closer to the team that they look like at home.
2: That's a really interesting idea. And I want to throw through a concept to you. Nate and I have been discussing at various moments over the last couple of weeks, this idea, we're on different sides of it. So you're not the tiebreaker, obviously, but you can I value your opinion about whether the Sixers quote-unquote should, and there are some arbitrary factors in here that are interesting, prefer to be the six seed or the five seed. And the idea there is, mm. if you're the five, you face an easier first-round opponent, presumably Miami, maybe Indiana, but you face a tougher second-round opponent. That would be presumably the Milwaukee Bucks. If you're the six, tougher second round, first-round opponent, Celtics, but, a, but not having to face the Bucks in the second round. So it's easier to make the conference finals, but it's also harder to make it out of the first round. So... If you were Elton Brand, and theoretically you could choose door number one or door number two, which one would you choose?
1: Yeah, it's not an easy call by any means, but I, I th- you know, it partially depends on. All right. If you're in the four or five, who are you playing? Because I think there's a major difference between the Heat and Pacers. Agreed. Uh, if if it's the Pacers, I, I feel much more strongly about you'd rather be in the four or five. But I think even if it's Miami, I'd rather be in the four or five. Uh, get that easier path to the second round. This year has been tough. It uh, the 76ers have just not come to expectations. And so, yeah, getting to the second round, you can feel all right about that and go from there. Uh, it keeps, I th- think winning really keeps players' value intact. And so as long as everybody's value is up because you made it to the second round, there are more trade possibilities in the offseason. And I also think, to some degree, the 76ers roster was built to face the Bucks. You know, To have Al Horford, I think, is a lot about Giannis. And so, sure, I'd rather play the Celtics and Raptor- or Raptors uh, in the second round. But I think just in terms of personnel and style, Philadelphia matches up reasonably well with the Bucs for a team that's not as good as the Bucs like everybody else in the East.
2: And if also for getting into the factor, kind of the more subjective about how you feel at the end of the season, losing to the best team in the conference and the likely Eastern Conference champion feels a lot better than potentially losing to another team who you could make an argument maybe that they're more talented, even if there's an inferior seed. So losing to the Heat, losing to the Celtics, losing to the Raptors is a lot worse than losing to the Bucks. And yeah, maybe you do it around earlier, but also like if the Sixers want to make it a long way, they're going to have to go through the Bucks anyway. So I agree with you. I, th- I think that that's the more desirable road. I think it's an interesting argument. and But for me, it's more that the downside risk of losing in the first round is way more destructive than really any of the other scenarios. And so you want to minimize that as best you can.
1: Agreed. I mean, I, I think if the Pacers, or excuse me, the 76ers at least make it to the second round, they should at least feel okay about their season. Maybe yeah. not great, depending on how it goes. If they lose in the first round, I can't imagine a way that happens where they feel okay with this season.
2: Yeah, then they're trying to shed money by trading out Horford. Maybe – Brett Brown and Elton Brand are on the hot seat. Probably Brown more so than Brand, just because of the timing of everything. Yeah, but speaking of downside, Brooklyn Nets.
1: They're, <laughs> a transition! They're thirty
2: well. and thirty-four, and you know they're in the seven, the seven-eight morass with the with the magic. And I mean, I guess I'm excited to see how Caris LeVert fares. I mean, he's he's going to have a lot of mouth to beat, and he's going to be dealing with some whiplash if he's still on the Nets. Because now he's the only mouth to feed and eventually he's gonna be, you know, deep deep in the pecking order with Kyrie and Kevin Durant in, in the fold, much less, you know, like their full complemented guys like Spencer Dinwiddie. And so I wonder if I mean Levert has his money. That that part of it's not really a factor here. But I felt for a while that his best case scenario is not being a part of the Nets. I think he's gonna be marginalized on next year's team, both as a starter and theoretically. in second unit. So I guess this can work as an audition for somebody else to say hey that's a guy we really want and to prioritize him in free agency
1: yeah i think he has some ability to play with those other stars right just just because uh he he's uh can do just so many different things right he can he can keep the ball moving he can pass he can shoot he can drive he's a good ball he can do it all and I, I think there's a way to do that in a complementary role i don't know if that's what he wants though and uh listening to Kyrie irving i, I think i know what he wants he wants <laughs> a third star and it's hard to construct a trade for a third star that doesn't include Karis LeVert. It does seem like he'd be the the centerpiece of that, and this is a great opportunity to showcase him because the rest of the roster is so lacking. And because it's so lacking, the Nets could also get another asset that they could use in a, a trade for a star, which is their own first round pick if they miss the playoffs.
2: Oh, that gets into a really a really interesting question, and partially due to my you know being a pick protection guy, and everybody kind of knows that about me at this point. People ask me a lot of times about teams tanking to keep their picks. And sure, if you can do it in like the Warriors-Harrison-Barnes situation or there are numerous other ones in the past, you do that. But generally what I've said, going back to the pick protection pieces I've written for Real GM, the Sporting News, and now The Athletic, is teams never tank their way out of the playoffs. And the reason why is because if you want to go from an ownership perspective, you lose revenue of the home games and you lose some prestige. This Brooklyn Nets team doesn't really have those same arguments because they're not getting any home games even if the even if they make the playoffs. And their point to let's call it season ticket holders to people watching their their local RSN games next year doesn't involve them making the playoffs at all this
1: year. Right. I mean they still have Kevin Durant. They still have Kyrie Irving coming. Uh, a lot of the guys on the roster are, you know, substitute players. They're not going to be around. Uh, yeah, like who cares? Better things are ahead for the Nets anyway. Uh, it's inter- I agree with you. Like teams really don't tank their way out of the playoffs. It doesn't happen. Uh, but I-, I thought it was interesting. This was maybe a, a year ago now. Uh, Daryl Morey said that the Celtics in two thousand four. Should have tanked rather than make the playoffs. Uh, Occasionally, you'll hear an executive talk about uh, tanking and kind of admitting it. Uh, This is the only time I've heard an executive on the record say that he believed that was the right choice for his team. Those Celtics, they only won 36 games. Uh, You know, they were they were bad. Uh, One of the worst playoff teams in a long time. Uh, but still, like the prestige of the playoffs is usually worth it. This is a case where it's not and, necessarily. And, and I don't know.
2: There's a, there's also the the kind of the interesting plausible deniability that is if they play badly enough that they're in the the play-in games with the with the Wizards. This Nets team is terrible from a talent perspective. And while the Wizards aren't aren't really better, I mean, losing those let's call it two games because we presume that the Nets would be the would be the eight. It's almost impossible for them not to be the. It it would be, you know, it would be kind of disheartening, but at the same point, it wouldn't be shocking. And there would be ways to. to, It wouldn't have to be like Mark Mattson firing off a bunch of threes. It would just be them losing in a horrendous two basketball games.
1: So I I think. That the Nets have at least two – probably – all right. I think the Wizards' best player is Ish Smith. How many Nets are better than Ish Smith who are going to be playing? Uh, I think Karis Laverta is better. Agreed. I think Joe Harris is better. I think Jared Allen might be better. I agree. Yeah, so they're, three.
2: They're, they're better than the Wizards.
1: But but here's what I think happens sometimes, right? Because the Nets have been better than the Wizards throughout the season. Everybody knows where the Nets are. The, the players on the Nets know – that nobody good is is coming to Orlando, and whether that's uh, from management directly or players all making individual choices, I don't know. But players know what's going on. They know that this team isn't going anywhere. Uh, if if the Nets, through management, through Coach Doc Vaughn, they start to do things because it looks like maybe on that level they'd rather keep the draft pick. Like players know what's up, and I often say that that tanking. Is not, obviously, it's not players on the court trying to lose, but sometimes there's just a malaise throughout the organization that starts at the top and trickles its way down. And if players don't really feel motivated, if they don't feel like the organization values winning in that moment, like they're not gonna try their hardest, they're not gonna work their hardest. It's only natural. Like they might want to, they might be as committed as they can be. But when that's the tone set, it's hard to be that committed.
2: Totally fair, and I think there's more optimism around the Orlando Magic. The Magic are only a half game behind the Nets, but they're also healthier and I would say better at, at you know at this version of full strength because we have Kevin Durant out as as a set thing. And so for Orlando, I, I'm a, I'm a little bit intrigued by you know Evan Fournier has this player option, which can decide whether he's going to be a free agent in 2020 or in 21. And maybe we get to see Jonathan Isaac. I, I I still want to see Isaac in a different situation. I'd love to see him at center, which is not going to happen with this team for a bunch of different reasons. So there are things that I want to see. Markel Fultz getting to play in the playoffs is going to be pretty exciting. I i wonder where that's going to go. But it's still it's a, it's a one and done situation.
1: Man, we've uh we've really hit the bottom of the East when we're saying we're excited to see Markel Fultz in the playoffs. Uh... I'm not. I mean, it's fine. Like, I'm excited to see anybody in the playoffs, uh, but not him more than anything. Uh, he has done a great job of making himself a viable NBA player after everything that's gone on. That's absolutely to his credit, but it's in a way, it's with a style, with a non shooting style of him playing hard and playing physical and doing some cool things. Like, there's not enough upside where I'm excited to see him uh, in the playoffs. I, I don't know. I'm so burnt out on this Magic team and maybe it's only unfair after it's only been one year of them being on this level. Uh, they're kind of unimaginative. They're, they're big. I like how the, I like their defense, right? I, I mean, Steve Clifford's done a nice job. A lot of those players have done a nice job, uh, but they're, they're too big. They don't have enough spacing. They've got a bunch of veterans uh, who don't have untapped upside. Uh, Jonathan Isaac is a, a big exception there. Uh, but, too many and they're capped out and they're locked in for a few years with a lot of these guys and I just find it all very uninspiring but yeah in this range they are better than the Nets and better than the Wizards.
2: Yeah I mean comparatively inspiring might be a misnumber in some senses but in another way it does it does kind of work for this Magic team and I, I, I think the challenge there is something that, that you kind of got to of where do they go from here? And I think that they are a cut above everybody that could potentially be rising out of the bottom for the nine seed if we're going to pencil in the Wizards. I mean, maybe the Wizards are competing with the Magic for the eight-nine. Maybe you want to think about it that way. And that's not the worst place to be because inevitably somebody's going to get hurt. But I think, like, there are some expectations on, oh, you know, the Bulls or the Hawks or one of these other teams. If they get better, they're going to be in the playoff mix. And it's like, it might be harder to get in, some expect.
1: Yeah, I mean, the... I don't know. The Magic set a reasonable bar for the worst playoff team in the East.
2: Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. Um, the Washington Wizards, 24-40, and 40, lucky to be there. I guess you could say lucky is a relative concept, construct. I don't know how the players <laughs> feel about
0: it.
2: Um, I don't really have a ton that's exciting me because Bertans and Bradley Beal aren't there. I guess seeing Mo Wagner, seeing some of their young guys get, get a few reps, and that will be notable but what does excite me about the wizards is the idea that at least those guys are going to slot in to more reasonable places when john wall and bradley beale return potentially davis as well and the weird incentive structure that like i'm guessing as an organization the wizards want to make the playoffs way more than the nets do and maybe that leads to some some fun stuff
1: oh yeah like the wizards would and i'd say should feel good if they make the playoffs i mean this was Uh, a real bad year and you know in the moment i don't think we're going to give them a ton of credit for getting into the playoffs this way if they make it right if they get within four games and then win two playing games you know it's a little convoluted backdooring their way in and then probably getting smoked by the bucks but if they can build off of that if we look back in years and say oh hey the Wizards uh, have made the playoffs three years in a row instead of two like that 'd be nice for them, I guess like it 's not the the biggest accomplishment, but yes, I do think they want to make it uh, I just i don 't know I was going to say i don 't think they have the the talent to get there, but in this race they do
2: <laughs> they do uh, let 's end the east with a, a, a question i 've been thinking about a little bit you don 't have to use the current bracket. you can move teams around as much as is reasonable. What would be your most preferred matchup for the first round, the second round, and the conference finals, East only? All right, well, the second I, I can, round... I, I can answer if you want to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You know, oh, yeah, go ahead.
1: Give me a minute to think about this.
2: Okay, so I think the second round is the clearest. That would be a yep. Raptors-Celtics series. That would be really exciting. That's more interesting than anything anything against the Bucks and or those teams against anyone else. First round... I think I'll go with one that's already on the board: Sixers, Celtics. That would be really fun. Um, I, I th- they haven't played in, in a little bit. I'm interested in in how this Sixers team has matured a little bit. Also, you get the Horford dynamic would would be fun. Uh, so yeah, that would be there. And then for the conference finals. <sighs> It's tough. I mean, I think for me, I'd probably go with the Celtics because, A, that means they played well enough to beat the, the Raptors, and so that means maybe Jason Tatum was rolling. Maybe that was really for real. And because I think the, the Celtics have a couple of structural things offensively that give the Bucks challenges defensively. They shoot a lot of pull-up shots, which Milwaukee concedes, and they have a pick-and-pop big in Daniel Tice. Not that the Raptors are slouches there. if Marcus Soule can actually hit shots. But – and Ibaka can, of course, too. But I just think Celtics-Bucks would be a more interesting series, just like maybe more fun to watch than Raptors-Bucks.
1: Yeah, so I'm with you on Raptors-Celtics in the second round. That's the easiest. Uh First round could be several, but I, I like the idea of the 76ers-Celtics. Uh It's a lot of pressure on both teams. Like whoever loses in the Oof. first round, that's a real bummer. And I, I like when that stacks up sometimes. Like it's not really fair, but if it stacks out that way, Yeah. Uh, in the conference finals, I will say Bucks Raptors. I really like how this Raptors team plays. Uh, I like them fighting to hang on to their uh, championship reign, making it that far. Like they're going to play hard. Uh, you know, Nick Nurse has challenged uh, Giannis creatively, defensively, and they have the talent to do it. even without Kawhi. It's not going to be the same. Uh, but I think the Raptors could put up a, a good enough fight, and I'd like to see them have that opportunity uh, if I got to pick.
2: Yeah, that's totally fair. That those were the two that I was considering um, in terms of the Bucks, Raptors, and Bucks Celtics. But yeah, that, that's that's fair. Plenty more to talk about with Dan Feldman. But first, a message from Bet Online. Thankfully, there is no shortage of action going on with our exclusive partners, BetOnline. Sports are slowly making their way back with UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer leading the way. And BetOnline has all the best odds and lines coming for upcoming games and matches. So visit Online and use the Podcast One promo code to receive your new welcome bonus and, of course, also tell them you came from us. And also, make sure to stay tuned at the end of this podcast as sports analyst and host of Good Sports, Dave Damoshek, discusses the welcome return of sports with BetOnline's Dave Basin, and if you need more, BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. And if you're looking for something other than sports, BetOnline also has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in business. So whatever you are looking for, check out BetOnline and make sure to use that Podcast One promo code for your new welcome bonus, whether you're going to their website or using your mobile device. So check out BetOnline, your online wagering experts let's jump to the Western Conference the Lakers, sort of similar to the Bucks in the respect that they are pretty locked into the number one seed and then number one versus number one doesn't really matter much, and the Bucks have an advantage there anyway. so for the Lakers, though, they have a tougher first round opponent because whoever makes it out of that eight seed morass is going to be probably playing pretty well and they're a better team than whoever the eight seed is in the eastern Conference but I'm really interested in in the Lakers, you know, how all these pieces fit together. And something that I've been keeping an eye on, Nate is the one who clued me onto this, is they've had some real struggles in terms of crunch time offense. And maybe their personnel, they can figure some of those things out. Maybe it's some gameplay stuff. They looked good in a couple important games, including one fourth quarter comeback against the Clippers, or not comeback, but put away against the Clippers. But I I don't know. I there's still I'm still a little bit tentative on them as great as they are. Like there's no question that they're a title a, a top tier title contender, but it's like are they the number 3 title contender of those 3?
1: Yeah, as far as crunch time offense, I just trust LeBron. Uh in the biggest moments against the tightest defenses, he's done it. Like yeah. he makes good decisions, he's got the individual capability. Uh he's got shooters around him, he's got Anthony Davis. Like I, I just trust him in those moments. Yeah, I
2: mean, he was the best clutch player in the league a couple of years ago, and that was a big part of the Cavs' success. So, like I mean, it's not – and, yeah, he's 35 going on 36. But, I mean, he still has that. He was great this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I don't have doubts there. I mean, there's a reason that we – when every time we talk about clutch stats, we always add the caveat, it's a small sample, you don't know if this is revealing or not, here's why it might be, here's why it might not. Like, always, you can never just assume clutch stats are telling you a full story. And in this case, I particularly – don't uh yeah to me honestly they probably are the the third of that top tier but there's a reason we lumped all three of those teams into the same tier I don't think there's much separation
2: yeah I don't think there's much separation one guy that I'm going to keep a close eye on is Kentavious Caldwell Pope he has a you know a challenging contract situation just because of his his nature the nature of him with clutch and his his time with the Lakers but also because they need him to do more with Avery Bradley out and Rajon Rondo out at least for a little while and and so I wonder how he's going to fare. Now, they don't need him to, like, run the offense or anything crazy like that, but with KCP and Caruso and some of these other support players, like they're going to be asked to do more than they have been at previous moments in this last couple of years.
1: Yeah, but by more it's probably more minutes than more actual responsibility. True. Uh, maybe a little bit defensively, but offensively probably not. And, and that way it can be a benefit. Uh, Avery Bradley's done a good job this year uh, of cutting out some of his offensive bad habits. Uh, Rondo, a little bit of a different story, but there's some advantages to making sure the ball's just in LeBron's hands more. I, I think in a lot of ways KCP and uh, Alex Caruso can be better complementary players to the Lakers stars. The Lakers, you know, without Ronda, without uh, Bradley, they lose depth. And with Bradley in particular, I think his perimeter defense, his aggressiveness could be very helpful in some matchups. And so you lose the ability to use him in those matchups. But overall, uh, I think KCP and Caruso are easier fits.
2: Yeah, that's a fair point. The Clippers are. Five and a half back of the Lakers, but they're only one and a half ahead of the Nuggets. And I think what's been hard for me is with Kawhi teams in particular after the last couple of years, it's justifiable to say we know that they can be better in the playoffs than they've been so far. And the Clippers did have some really dominant performances. I think about that one where they crushed the Rockets in the first half shortly before the hiatus. But, you know, we didn't really see it all put together that much for them. But at the same point, I still have confidence that they'll do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we didn't really see it much in Toronto last regular season. And uh, it worked out fine. Like, he's earned the benefit of the doubt. We've seen this load management work. Uh, And the Clippers have such good uh, complementary talent, right? They can play different styles. It's not going to be just on Kawhi. I like their depth. I like their versatility. That helps. And... I expect Kawhi to be great, too. Like He might be the best player in the NBA. He's in the discussion.
2: Absolutely is. My, my concern with the Clippers, you talked about their depth and versatility. I agree with you, but that does make it harder for Doc Rivers. Sometimes having simplified choices means that you're not going to make the wrong ones. And while Doc is a wonderful coach... The way going back, I mean, Nate and I did this. uh We did pivotal quarters on this on the NBA Twitch channel on Wednesday, and one of the things that we thought we did the Clippers Lakers game, and the Lakers were just going after Lou Williams, and Lou was has been such an important part of the last couple of Clippers teams. I mean, he was justified six man of the year, and was a, an offensive linchpin for them, but isn't anymore, and is just an easy sore to go at. And so, like, I I just I think Doc Rivers, you know, I and I, I know he's smart enough to – know the right decisions and and it, Williams does have more equity and this is a title team which is different than what they've been but I just hope that he pulls the right levers at the right times
1: uh, well hopefully he even has the right levers right with with so many oh, players geez. away right so it's one thing to say hey maybe yeah you shouldn't play Lou Williams so much but you also need to have Patrick Beverly back you need to have Landry Shamit back and and then uh, to be as versatile as we we're talking about, you need Montrez Harrell and Navita Zubac back uh, to to be able to play a credible center.
2: The Nuggets have an interesting an interesting challenge for this because while a lot of pieces there are set, Jamal Murray got his extension, Jokic obviously is making big money and deserves every cent of it. They have this. Kind of question mark at power forward. They traded for Jeremy Grant, gave up a first round pick for what is likely a pending free agent, thinking probably that he was going to be their power forward in the future. Maybe he is. And Millsap, I think, has done a good job. I actually defensively like Millsap's fit with Jokic better, partially because he could do more of the kind of like stable rim protecting type of stuff, while Jeremy Grant is more of a traditional four so how they figure that out, how the rotation works, it's going to be interesting with them because while you could make an argument, and I would, that the Nuggets' best days are ahead of them, You know, they were the number two seed last year, I think they'll end up being the number three this year, and they are a very talented team.
1: They're very talented and they're very young. Like A lot of people like to pick the Nuggets' flaws, and those are real, people aren't wrong about it, but this team overall is so young. Like Give these players a chance to grow and round out their games. and. They could be even better. Uh, this power forward dilemma is interesting with both Millsap and Grant going into free agency. But I also think like n- neither one has been good enough uh, to where I'm absolutely certain the Nuggets couldn't afford to keep both. They probably can't. But I'd say that's at least possible depending on how the playoffs go uh, because it's definitely not clear how you want to go. I do think Millsap uh, is better right now, but he's old, much older and I don't know how much longer you can count on him doing this. And then of course, the other variable is uh, Michael Porter Jr., who oh, right, yeah. might actually be the the power forward of the future in Denver.
2: Yeah, especially if Porter Jr. can't defend anything else, then he might end up being a power forward and he's a, a, an intriguing offensive player who could who could grow into a really nasty fit offensively with some of the other things that they have going. He's a talented cutter, I did a podcast with Adam Maris a little bit ago talking about how, I think it's Jokic said that he's the most talented cutter on the team already when you consider the amount of time Porter Jr. has missed. I, I liked him a lot as an offensive player with the ball in his hands going back to his high school days. And... The Jazz, I'm less enthusiastic, less effusive about. Not only because they, you know, they never really got it together. I was I was higher on them going into the season, and sometimes those teams that burn me a little bit, I get frustrated. But also because Bojan Bogdanovic was an important part of their success, and I think they're just a less dynamic team when you replace him with Joe Ingles, both in the starting lineup and theoretically at the bench units.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would have had the Jazz as a low-end championship contender if Bogdanovich were healthy. Uh, I think he might be the biggest loss of any team of, of who you would have expected to have in the bubble, at least based on when the, the regular season yeah, got so suspended. Yeah, not like a pre-existing injury like Kyrie or KD or something. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and I think long-term, there's some danger here because we know about the rift between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell And one of the best ways to repair uh, a damaged relationship like that is to win. Like when teams win, everybody involved feels better about it, about themselves, about each other. It all just works together and snowballs. And when you lose, it's the same thing but in the other direction often. And so, yeah, if there are already problems between those two, uh, the the Jazz to me are the weakest team uh, in this range of the playoffs.
2: I would agree. I'm not super high on the Thunder either. I think those are probably the, the two that that have the lowest ceiling to me, but I, I would ag- agree that the Thunder, I think they have a higher floor. So now there are ways that the Jazz could be better. I wouldn't love that as a first-round series for a couple different reasons, mostly because I'd rather, I'd rather see other teams play each other. But I think that the other elephant in the room that isn't getting talked about as much is Rudy Gobert being extension-eligible. And
1: Super max extension eligible. Super max extension eligible. And
2: even though he's pretty clearly not going to be worth that, I mean centers generally aren't. And even though Rigo Gobert is a defensive player of the year candidate again after having won it the last couple of years, he's going to play more of this next contract in his 30s than his 20s. And even though Height could age well as long as he can keep moving reasonably well. It's just, I mean, that you're committing to that with Donovan Mitchell and like the, the, the Jazz actually have some flexibility depending on how they want to move this. And so I wonder how those sides feel about this and how, as you said, like winning makes things easier, losing makes things harder, how that changes how both sides feel about a potential Gobert extension.
1: Yeah, you, you just can't give him the Supermax. It's way too much money. No, but could you po-
2: okay, so Supermax, you could theoretically give him 30%, you know, like $1 over 30% and have it, let's say, flatter descend, would you? Would he be worth that to you?
1: Yeah, so at one point I looked up, like if you start at the lowest possible amount and you do uh, fully descending, so like 8% a year, ah, probably not. Even that's probably too much money it has uh, to be at his years. age. And, and assuming it's fully guaranteed, I'm not sure if it has to be guaranteed. Like, if you start to talk about unguaranteed years, okay, now we can get into something. He's 28 years old. Like, I really like Rudy Gobert. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. Uh, I think he's really, really good. But I'm not sure he's going to stay really, really good. And he plays a a uh, high replacement level position in center.
2: Yeah, and even though an elite defensive center is hard to find, a pretty good one you can generally get. And also, the age curve, I think, is a very real concern. Now, Bogdanovich is no spring chicken either, and Ingles is obviously older. But they also – Dennis Lindsay doesn't have a lot of long-term obligations right now. Conley – only has one more year donovan mitchell is actually good and young so you don't have to worry about that as much so they could retool around donovan mitchell if they wanted to i know that's not what the front office intended when they traded for mike conley and kind of have rudy gobert there but they do have that ability to pivot which they would lose giving gobert big money
1: right i mean they they made a push for this year uh to sign a a older player like bogdanovich that much money to give up draft picks for conley they were they were trying to accelerate their timeline and. doesn't look like it's going to work. Now, they can get another crack at it with this group next year if that's what they want, but you are right. like In the same way we were talking about with uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown in Boston, Donovan Mitchell is a multi-window player. The Jazz will have another window around him uh, after this one closes.
2: Windows are also an important part of the story in Oklahoma City, where they're good right now. This is one of the league's cleanest success stories. You brought up Toronto as as one of these before. They traded away their two best players, got an absolute haul, From the Clippers and from the Rockets, but they're still clearly going to make the playoffs, 40-24, and tied with the Rockets for the 5-6 and right now, though they have the tiebreaker. So I'm interested in, you know, maybe this is the last year off of this team. I want to see how they play. It's such a good story. I love watching Chris Paul, other than the times when he frustrates me. And Mm -hmm. so I want to see that, but also just... The inflection point for Sam Presti, Gallo is going to be a free agent. Maybe Chris Paul has inflated value because he actually was healthy this year and was such an important part of the Thunder's success. So maybe you try to sell high, and nobody understands the value of premium picks quite like Sam Presti because they built that amazing team that never won a title but got fairly close a number of times through having really high-end draft picks and picking well.
1: Yeah, the Thunder. Uh, we're number 29 on my pressure rankings entering the season. So, yeah, uh, I really like how this team plays. I've got a lot of admiration for them. They they play with so much pride. They play together. And it's I think it's so cool how Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder make it work together. Having three point guards on the floor, like it really pays off for them in crunch time. Uh, they're an awesome crunch time team. Uh, maybe a little bit of that, a small sample. But I also think there's something real to it uh, somewhat. Uh, and for everybody to sacrifice and bend their games uh, just a little bit to make that work and uh, improve their games in the case of Dennis Schroeder and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, like, I think it's great. Like, Chris Paul could have come at, at salt. He didn't. Uh, I like this team. And they do have all those other draft picks. It, it's cool to to be winning. And yeah, sure. the The Thunder might, in future years, not keep this together. They might tank. That's the only draft pick they can control is their own. That's how you get the super high end pick. Uh, none of the picks they have look destined to be that. But between all of them, maybe one does, maybe not. Uh, so it's it's not necessarily a team and a style that's going to last forever. But I do appreciate it for this moment.
2: Absolutely. So the team they're tied with is the Houston Rockets. I have a couple different branches. I mean, I think they're one of the most compelling teams going into the bubble. And the Rockets, because of their ceiling, you know, when this, what they really, D'Antoni structured this around Russell Westbrook, they got Robert Covington. And I think they have the third highest ceiling in the Western Conference. But that still means you have to be faced, theoretically, both of the, the Lakers and Clippers. But what I wanted to ask you was, we'll start with this houston potentially they're on the kind of this the five six border and one of the important parts about the five six border is who you could face in the second round and so if you're houston you know yeah first round opponent matters a lot but there's no guarantee they're going to make the second round would you rather face the lakers or the clippers
1: lakers uh the lakers are bigger and so that that's just the way the lakers play that's who they are and you got a chance to introduce some variability by going small, create a little more chaos. I think that favors them. I I think the Clippers have the wings to play like the Rockets and just be a better team too.
2: They also also the Clippers have a lot more guys who can credibly defend James Harden, and yes. that, that's a that's a very real concern. The Lakers don't really have. I mean, they could They throw Danny Green on him, who has some, like, who can do. I think he can do a decent job, and KCP might get in some trouble because of Harden's foul drawing ways. So yeah, I think the personnel part of it is there, even though the Lakers can do such a good job attacking the basket, and now the Rockets don't really have that same level of rim protection. But still, I, I think that's right call. It. And then the other dynamic that I'm really interested in is. Mike D'Antoni is about to be a coaching free agent, and we don't know all of the details about how his relationship and is with the Rockets, whether he would even want to go back there considering the way that he didn't get an extension and everything else. But also D'Antoni has this opportunity with everybody else basically in the same damn hotel to teach – to show all these other front offices why he would be the right coach for them either to get leverage for Houston or just to be in a different situation.
1: Yeah, sure. I I would tell those other teams, though, uh, be careful, because D'Antoni is a great coach when he has players who fit his system, and he's a terrible coach when he doesn't. I'm not sure. I remember another coach who uh, has so little malleability, uh, because he is awesome with the right... Fit, and he does have that in Houston I tell the Rockets to be careful too because because they've created this distinctive style they they've positioned their roster for it right they moved Clint Capella uh they brought him coming to this great fit like this team is built to play this way and Dan Tony is capable of coaching a team like this I don't think every coach is.
2: Well, and what's interesting there is that the Rockets and Suns, those two teams, are very different. But you're right that there have been certain configurations of talent that just didn't work very well for D'Antoni. And yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to see him in a different circumstance. I, I think it's very possible that we see that. Uh, One team I don't think he's going to jump to is the Dallas Mavericks. They already have Rick Carlisle. And Dallas, their upside is absolutely tantalizing. I mean, they were great offensively. The, The best, if you want to use the phrasing, you know, not relative terms, but comparative terms, but in pure offensive rating, best offense in NBA history, Luka ascending to MVP status makes this season a success no matter what happens. But Dallas, I would love to see Dallas move off the seven line because I would say the Clippers are the least interesting opponent for them to play in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I think Dallas is the uh, the team that's going to be now, if I have to predict one i I wait until this deep in the podcast to bring this up. You know we're talking about from where these teams left off and these players as we know them, and what else can we do right? This is the right way to analyze it. But also, who the heck knows, after such a long <laughs> layoff and everybody – like, I just think we have no idea. There are going to be a ton of surprises – I think, but if there is one team that I'm going to predict is going to be better than their record coming into the the bubble, I think it's Dallas. Uh, I think they were better in the record during the regular season. I also think, like we talked about, I'm not sure the star players are going to be able to handle the big minutes uh, in the playoffs like like they often do because everybody's still ramping back up. I'm not sure the conditioning is going to be there. But I like the Mavericks' Mavericks' depth, and I think Rick Carlisle is especially good at using depth. Everybody on this roster is. is the type of player that rick carlisle knows how to use well
2: that's a great point and if you want a piece of evidence to help you cleaning the glass does you know how a team's wins differ from their from their point differential expectations the mavericks underperformed their point differential by the second highest margin in the entire nba behind only the detroit pistons next team is the new orleans pelicans the team we'll talk about in a little bit so your argument i mean they were sixth in the league if you take out garbage time in point differential this year and that is truly impressive. Wow. I mean they were about league average on defense, but when you're league average on defense and the league's best offense, you can be there. And so yeah, I mean they the Mavericks the challenge is they're 3 games in the loss column behind the Rockets and Thunder, but maybe they can push that a little bit. Maybe I haven't gone through their schedule too rigorously because I think as as you just got into predicting this, I think can be kind of a fool's errand, but it is I I'm I'm wondering what's going to happen with them and You know, they are in the same sense of like the happy to be there where this season is a success no matter what happens. But it could be more of a success.
1: I'm going to put you on the spot. I haven't looked through the schedule easier. Uh, Mavericks, uh, seven seed, yes or no? Yes. I'm going to say no.
2: I hope you're right. I really, really do. Um, let, let's go to Memphis. Memphis is the favorite for the eight seed, partially because they have a three and a half game lead on everybody else. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get into the playoffs and face the Lakers. Another team, huge successful season. I mean, John Morant leading it. A lot of relying on a lot of young players, and that's different than having a young team. Is that they're they're leaning on it. You know, Jaren Jackson, Dylan Brooks playing a lot of minutes. Unfortunately, we're not going to get to see Justice Winslow. That makes me a lot less intrigued by the Grizzlies this year. They're going to have to fill those wing minutes somehow. That's a big question. But there's a lot to look forward to, and I'm excited to see how Ja Morant fares in this pressure cooker, where he's facing defenses that are going to be keying on him a little bit more. He had such a wonderful, justified-to-me rookie of the year season because of how the awards ballots are going to be done. So I, I I love watching Ja. I'm going to love watching him against the top 22.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the Grizzlies are the team I'm second most excited to see more of, and Ja Morant's probably the player I'm second most excited to see more of. uh it's a great distinction about not, uh or about not just being young, but relying on the young players. I, I'd say the... Veteran, the guy who I wouldn't describe as young, that they rely on the most is Jonas Valanciunas. And they've got a couple other bigs, young bigs uh, in Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark in the rotation. I just love Jackson and Clark's fit together. And so there, there's not a place where you go, yep, that's uh there's some veteran here that's going to be irreplaceable. And once they move on from him, there's going to be a huge step back. Like that's a, something you see with a, a lot of young teams, like similar, more like we were talking about Denver. If Denver loses Paul Millsap, They're a young team, obviously on a different level, but if they lose Paul Millsup, I think they're going to take a step back as they adjust, and other players have to develop to be able to fill that. I don't think that's true of Memphis. This looks like a team uh, that is ready to rise, and they got a great opportunity now to get a lot of valuable experience.
2: Yeah, and they had that really memorable game against the Lakers before the hiatus, where one of the games that really kind of sold me on Memphis is being a viable playoff team. When I considered them the least likely playoff team before the season starts, that shows you what I know. Let's go to the Portland Trailblazers, one of the Western Conference finalists last year and beset by injuries and it is exciting that they're going to have their their big man combo back uh, Nurkic and Collins didn't play together at all this year because Nurkic missed the whole year and Collins missed most of it and I'm excited about that that doesn't mean I'm super thrilled about the Blazers they are kind of the, they are kind of the team that we thought they were so I, I think in some ways it's going to be weird that Portland Dame is intensely fun to watch he shot a ridiculous 40 percent on pull-up threes this year but I think that a lot of people are going to be rooting for other teams over them, including the New Orleans Pelicans, to get that 8th seed.
1: Yeah, uh, we'll get to the Pelicans, my team I'm most excited to see in a sec. The Blazers are okay, I guess, maybe. like Damian Lillard is the best player in this race for the 8th seed. But even with him, like the Blazers were pretty bad throughout the season. This is a flawed team. I don't think Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins are just going to fix that. Uh, there's still a huge hole at small forward, uh, and especially with Trevor Ariza not playing, uh, Carmelo Anthony I think is going to play mo- more small forward. He looks like he's in great shape, and that's absolutely to his credit. And maybe it's going to go better than I think. But even as well conditioned as he looks, I don't have a lot of confidence def- in him defending out in space.
2: And that's a real concern theoretically if they get the one seed because the Lakers have <laughs> the best forward combination in the NBA. Or maybe if you're going to slide them to the four and five, then the best four or five combination in the NBA. And I think that it will be a real challenge for Portland in that circumstance. Now, Damian Lillard is not somebody that, that the Lakers have a ton to match up with, and I, lo- I love watching Dame. But let's move to the team that I think we're both rooting to, to make it more over them just from a kind of a fan perspective, and that's the Pelicans. They looked so good when they were together. Zion only played in 19 games, was absolutely electric. They have a lot of intriguing sport players. They really haven't had the whole thing operational yet this year, and... Also because I brought I brought this up with a few teams, including the Pacers. David Griffin has a lot of decisions to make over the next couple of years. He has to figure out what's going on with Drew Holiday, who could potentially be a free agent in 2021. Lonzo Ball and Josh Harder are up for extensions this year. Ingram, we kind of know where that's going. And getting, even if it's weird fractured intel i think that stuff could matter the fit between zion and derek Favors, is the fit between you know a, a couple of these other pieces so i'm not only am i excited to watch them because they're exciting to watch but because it matters moving forward
1: yeah they have so many good players who can play different styles and it has come together best when zion is playing he he is an energizer he, he raises everybody on the floor for new orleans and so yeah it could go a lot of different ways they are versatile i do think they have the highest ceiling of every team in this race for the eighth seed, uh, you know, and be a lot of fun to, to see them play more in the playoffs. Like, you know, we were kind of robbed of not getting to see more of Zion this year. That's the reason everybody is so excited to watch him. Uh, Not only is he thrilling on the court, Oh, We also just haven't had much opportunity to see him, and that's what's different than everybody else in the league who has played like a star because he has played like a star. I'm not saying he is a star. To be a star, uh, you've got to contribute. You've got to be available and all of that, Uh, but when on the court, he has absolutely played like a star.
2: Yeah, the impact stuff is really there, and the other reason why I get really excited about New Orleans—the same thing happened to me with Dallas earlier this year when Luca had the ascendancy. And you know, you could go back to OKC a few years ago, the Warriors at different moments. It's that once a team has a real like young players that are worth getting really excited about, like potential, like serious, serious upside, then you start to have these bigger conversations in your head or with other people, and. I'm not saying the Pelicans are there yet, but they're working their way to that place. And that's where I start really getting excited about like, oh, look at all these things they could do because then there are actual stakes. You know, we're not talking as much. You and I aren't gushing about the Orlando Magic because we kind of know what they're going to be. And even if they had a little bit more financial flexibility, you can do that. The Pelicans, like the sky's really the limit here. I mean, Zion, Nate and I talked about it when we did the South the Southwest player rankings, which you'll, you, you can hear, but like players don't, have the usage that he has and the efficiency that he has without running an offense. Like, that doesn't happen. Like, he's an extremely unusual player. And you think about that he's just getting better. I mean, he's 19 years old. He was coming off of surgery. And I, it, it, he would be kind of setting a new mold if he's going to be, let's say, an MVP caliber player. But that happens all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all the impact he's making right now. It's while being a horrid defender. Yes. Right? I think, but I think a lot of that is conditioning. Uh, he he, has so much he can do, and he's putting his effort into offense. Uh, but he has defensive tools to be a lot better. Uh, and, he, and he was and, better uh,
2: at Duke than he's been at New Orleans.
1: Oh, yeah. And it, the interesting thing is I, the Pelicans' defense has been better with him on the floor. And I think it's just because there there is uh, an inspiration in playing with him, right? You well, know you have a chance. You want to defend harder. And also when you're scoring more, uh, you get a chance to set your defense. And that's that exactly too. where I
2: was going to go, the feedback loops. I mean, if you have a more efficient offense, then your life is easier and you defensively because you don't have to face as much in transition. Their transition defense has been horrible this season. So facing that less is, is impactful. Sacramento, tied with New Orleans in terms of record, not the same in terms of hype. Part of that for me is I was genuinely, I think, more excited than most about the Kings' place in the bubble. Because of De'Aaron Fox, I thought he'd really come on in the last little bit of the season. But his ankle sprain, even if Fox is available at the start of the bubble games, I don't think he's going to be 100%. And that's going to put more weight on a lot of other guys' shoulders. And I think it's you know kind of a their best case scenario is is really having almost everybody healthy. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So, you know, they're there, and they're more exciting than the Spurs and the Suns, but I I don't know.
1: Yeah, not only are they more exciting than the the Spurs and the Suns, I think they have a a much better chance of of getting into the play-in than the Spurs and the Suns. Uh, The injury besides the Aaron Fox, the other big one, is uh, to Marvin Bagley. And, yeah, the long-term concerns there are real with the injury, right? You want to give him a chance to play. You want him to... To grow, uh, you want to see what he is. All of that, I get it. Just in terms of winning the season, that might be a blessing in disguise. Because of his stature, because of where he was drafted, like I, I think there's a tendency to want to play him too much, to play him over players who are better right now. Like Rashawn Holmes had an awesome season. Rashawn Holmes is better right now. Nemanja Bialica, probably better right now. And so to, to give uh, some of those other players more minutes, Harrison Barnes a power forward, if he's available, better right now. To give those players more minutes and not have to work in Bagley uh, could help the Kings right now.
2: Yeah, and I mean, Bagley, remember, and Divots in the off season paid Dwayne Dedman a lot of money with the idea that Dedman could do for Bagley what he did for John Collins, which was defend the rim so then Bagley doesn't have to be that center defender, but also space the force so that if Bagley doesn't have to do it, incidentally, John Collins is now shooting at a, at a rate that Bagley has not yet so far. But that didn't work out, and now they have Rashawn Holmes. And Rashawn Holmes, great season. I mean, really exceeded my expectations. I've been low on him for a long time, and he's blown past that to his immense credit. But I don't love his fit next to Bagley, and I think Sac- Sacramento could end up in a problem where they never got to see this combination play, and so they're like, oh, yeah, that'll be fine. And then next year when they have actual expectations, when maybe they'll be be healthier, then they're just, they just aren't quite there.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're in a tough spot. They're, uh, they're a, a bad team with a couple interesting young players, a couple interesting interesting uh, medium-age players. Like they're, they're not as hopeless as they as looked at different points, but it's not as if like they are on a clear, absolute course uh, towards success.
2: One just little quirky thing that I wanted to mention is that Bogdan Bogdanovich, because he came to the NBA so late, he is a restricted free agent, but he's actually older than Evan Fournier, which is more, I think, Evan Fournier being younger than we think than Bogdanovich being
1: older. That's both. uh, I, uh yeah, it's meeting in the middle. It's an interesting one. I like yeah. that.
2: San Antonio, less interesting. 27-36, so a half game behind the Kings and the Pels. And with Marcus Aldridge not being there, I'm, there's just not a ton that I'm excited about. I guess it would be DeJounte Murray and Derek White playing, ideally playing together. They did that a little bit before the hiatus. Maybe some some Lonnie Walker, just because they're going to need basically anything they can get. But San Antonio's in kind of this frustrating holding pattern where they have a lot of guys that don't make sense together, and... I wonder, I wonder. I think if there are going to be some very real growing pains, which might be exacerbated by Pop leaving, whether that's after this year or after next year. But it's just a, I don't know, it's hard for me to get up for the Spurs. And you've heard me get excited about almost everybody on this podcast, even teams that aren't that good.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge being out is, is a huge loss for where they're going to be the rest of this season obviously he's a good player, uh, but when he started shooting three-pointers this season that just opened up their offense in an absolutely necessary way, they were really dragging before that uh, DeJounte Murray is, is a reluctant three-point shooter, DeMar DeRozan shoots even fewer threes and so the spacing was just terrible uh, LaMarcus Aldridge coming in, opening up the floor, that made a big difference uh, I like Jakob Pertl, who who's going to. To be the next man up at center he's a fairly mobile defender uh rebounds well he can pass some uh, score a little bit inside but he's not a three-point shooter he's not going to space the floor and so to miss that ingredient I, I think it just undermines so much of what the spurs would be doing if they're trying to win you know i think it's very telling that greg popovich came out and just said hey this this is about development the playoffs would be nice but this is about development uh he's not waving the white flag exactly but he kind of is
2: Kind of is, and the last team in terms of records is is the Phoenix Suns. They're really to round out the numbers because they're a full two games behind the Spurs and a full six games behind the Grizzlies for eight. And I, I though I am more excited about Phoenix than some of the than, than some of the other ones because we get to see Deandre Ayton. I thought he took some real strides this year. Devin Booker and also Mikael Bridges. Like Bridges got overshadowed by Kelly Oubre and. I think that Bridges, you know, he's capable defensively, low usage guy offensively. But you have Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. I think that's kind of OK. So I want to see, you know, it's not about like how many games they win, but I want to see how their guys fare, because that will help me assess whether they are viable as a potential fringe playoff team next season.
1: Yeah, I mean, they might be. Uh, Devin Booker took the step. He He's a legitimate all-star now uh DeAndre Ayton has all the tools when when the Suns were in Detroit obviously we all know that they should have taken Luka Doncic that's easy to say in hindsight and a lot of people said it in foresight too (laughs) I was not one of them actually I'm not bragging I was giving you a chance to clear your throat there uh I had eight one and even now you look at him he is so big and strong and mobile and shows skills like I get it I get why he's the type of player you take number one and uh it was a mistake but he still has so much upside
2: he does, and, and Aiton has really improved defensively, and that's such an important part for centers. I've actually been a little bit discouraged by his offensive growth, but there's still a lot of talent there, and I, and I think that he he could do it. And Also, they're going to need more from him defensively than offensively with Devin Booker growing into the player that he already is, and Booker, of course, can improve from here. So yeah, I, I'm interested in, in where they go, and the Suns' off season got less interesting with COVID, just because now they have less flexibility. But there's a lot to look forward to, so I'm excited about that. We've gone through all 22. I there we've covered plenty of ground. Is there anything else that you want to discuss?
1: Well, do we want to talk about our, our West uh, desired plan? Oh yeah. Matchups? Oh,
2: thank you, thank you so much for reminding me. Um, I'll, I'll go first just to give you a little bit of time to think about it. Uh. First round, my 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 runner up would be Pelicans Lakers. I would love to see the Pelicans make the playoffs. I think that there are a lot of fun dynamics there. Anthony Davis going against his old team, all the former Lakers going against the Lakers, Lonzo Ingram, all that. But my number one would be Nuggets Mavericks. I think that the offensive talent there would be awesome. Both teams kind of not great at taking at taking away what the other team does, which can be really really fun and oh yeah what did you pick for your what did you pick for
1: the first round in the east uh you know you might have to rewind it to look because i was going through a few i I think i ended up with a celtic 76ers uh, but i was debating between that and 76ers heat
2: okay yeah so i was thinking that would be it's like the polar opposite of of sixers heat where that would be just a rock fight i think that we get one of those little aba style things with dallas and denver could be a lot of fun second round for me I'll go Lakers Rockets. I think that 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 could happen with the 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 one five one four. I I'm interested in how those teams fare. Houston is my number three, you know, kind of ceiling team in the in the West, and so the Lakers, as we've talked about, we both agree they're the fit more the the, the tighter matchup. So that's exciting. And then my number one in the Western Conference Finals, obviously Clippers Lakers. All
1: right, so in the first round, uh, this is the series I'd be second most excited for in the entire playoffs. Give me Rockets Thunder. I Ooh. think that'd be so fun. As a matchup, I love the idea of Chris Paul going against the team that that dumped him. Uh, Russell Westbrook against his old team, but especially Chris Paul uh, going against the team that gave up first-round picks to get rid of him. Like, just didn't seem to want him around anymore. Everything that went down with James Harden. uh, And those are very differently uh, styled, built teams, right? The the Rockets are high ceiling, low floor. The Thunder are low ceiling, high floor. Uh, I think that would be a great matchup. Uh, in the second round, I'm with you, Lakers-Rockets, differing styles. Uh, the Rockets are a dangerous team. Uh, the Lakers might be susceptible. Probably not, but maybe. And then uh, in the Western Conference, was, yeah, that's that's the number one series uh, that I'm looking forward to is, is Lakers-Clippers. Uh, the the same-city rivalry, Kawhi choosing the Clippers over Lakers. All of that, the top-end talent. Uh, That would be just awesome. I hope we get that.
2: I hope we do too. Uh, I already asked you it, but you you correctly moved me to the playoff series. Is there anything else you want to discuss?
1: Yeah, I I think we hit on the big things. It'll be interesting to see who wins these awards. It sounds like those are going to be handed out during the playoffs. I don't know why. The NBA waited this long to do that. Uh, There were just months with no sports content. A lot of sports fans wanted something. All the games that are going to count are already decided. They could have done these awards then. Uh, You know, you wouldn't have been able to present the awards or do a show, but you could have, I don't know, you could do something virtual. I think it would have captured a lot of fans. I think it was a big missed opportunity. Uh, but at this point, yeah, that's part of what I'm looking forward to in the bubble, is is seeing who wins these awards.
2: Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be worth watching and uh, it is weird because also just the passage of time between when the games happen and when voting happens. I think that's going to be weird too. I mean, could have had it be more fresh, even though we didn't know exactly where it was going. I mean, they could have done the voting a month or two ago when they knew that the bubble was going to happen. So, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating, but Oh, that frustration will be superseded by the excitement to have actual basketball, and that's coming up real soon. Can't wait. Thanks again to Dan Feldman. You can read his work at NBC's Pro Basketball Talk, and of course, you can also follow him on Twitter at Dan Feldman NBA, Love having him on, and thankfully, amazingly, hopefully, only one more episode of Real GM Radio before we get to real basketball games that count, the bubble games. I mean, rear scrimmage is obviously going on right now, and already have a guest lined up for that. Hopefully, everything goes to plan there. I'm really excited about that to to kind of go in a different direction with this, and... If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download every episode. That is super important for this show in particular because Real Gym Radio will never come out on a specific day of the week. You can't get into a habit. So if you subscribe, then it will just pop into your podcast player. Whenever that happens, whether it's Apple, Spotify, whatever, whatever you're choosing to use, we should be on it. And if we're not on it, please let me know. Also... Word of mouth, extremely important. If you like a single episode or the show in general, tell other people that you do. And leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast, whatever you're choosing. It's a great way to help other people find the show. And the most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode. That is our friends at Bet Online, And use that podcast one promo code to tell me you came from us. And of course, to get yourself a up bonus. And you can listen to the interview that Dave Damoshek did with Dave Mason at the end of this. That's another cool thing that you can check out. As I said, Real Jam Radio will be back next week. I'm going to do before the game start because Nate and I are going to be doing a lot of dunked on as soon as the game start. We're doing live NBA casts. We're going to be doing... Some other really cool stuff, so keep an eye on our Twitter feeds. And Dunked On, going back to five days a week, starting, I guess you could say starting on Friday for the opening night games. We'll be, we're kind of doing a different schedule the first week because we want to talk about new games as much as we can. But we'll be getting back into that rhythm. And also you can check out my work at The Athletic. I'm doing the what I call the solo off-season previews because now I'm also doing collaborative off-season previews. So both those are rolling along strong. My own, I think I have five out, six probably coming out Friday. And then the collaborative previews with Seth Partnow and Dave Dufour We've done the entire Delete 8 And now we're working on another series Which will not really be surprising when you think about What could be after the Delete 8 So we'll be working on that You can check that out soon If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get that information to me. I will take the time to read it for sure. If you take the time to write it, I will respond if I can. I apologize that I'm not always the greatest with that, but my priority is to read it to make sure that your input is into my brain, and I will reply if I can. Sometimes I'm a little bit slow on that, but I do read it. It goes into a separate place, and that's important to me. And that seems like more than enough for now. Um, Stay tuned to listen to the interview, the Dave Damaschak talking with Dave Mason. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Take care and make it a great day.
3: All right. You've already heard the news, but let me be the one telling you the news. Let's pretend that I'm the one giving it to you for the first time. Sports are coming back and there's nothing you can do about it at this point. So your chance to bet on sports now with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag and joining me now is Dave Mason, who's going to be sharing some of the updates of what's coming next
4: to BetOnline. What's happening there, Dave? Uh lot's finally. <laughs> it's oh, been a thank interesting goodness. Interesting few months. You know, I was, I was, I was promoting ping rush and ping pong and marble races and all that sort of stuff and I didn't know what the heck I was doing but now we're back to some sports I'm somewhat familiar with so I'm I'm pretty happy but getting really busy too.
3: I hear you man I mean it's a, the the summer's been consumed who knew so many people would love golf but of course when you when you can uh, lay down a little bit of loot on it it makes everything a little more fun and now just out on the horizon if you you don't even have to squint too hard because they're right there for you MLB, NBA, and the puck is going to drop. I think, in particular for me, the hockey fan, I can't wait for early August to get here with uh, with ten straight days of never fewer than than four or five games. right? so yeah, and, and you guys are ready to take action on all those.
4: Yep, and we have the odds ready to rock. MLB comes first. We um, have our odds. We have great timelines, in those. All the futures are up, the World Series, everything, we're ready to go. Of course, you had to tweak some rules here and there with a 60-game season. You know, We had a, no action, all the season win totals and to put up new w- season win totals. And then um, there's been a, a little bit of a cat and mouse game, very hectic, going to slow times, even though it was slow and there in the sports, we're adjusting on the fly on stuff like that. And the following week, the NBA starts with that eight game regular season. We have season win. And once again, we had a no action all the season win totals because they didn't play the complete season, but we opened the eight game season win totals for the many, the many season coming up and all the playoff odds, et cetera. Then, yep, reduced juice NHL is back after that. So, and then we get into the NFL discussion, right? oh now now we're really talking it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy you know we i think back like every november there's that one or two days when all four sports are are in um in session together and and what is the sports equinox now we're gonna have a two month long sports equinox and it's gonna be insane so the guys the guys are rested up and they're ready to rock so i can't wait
3: move over march madness here comes august August augustness I don't know. Work on that. You can. <laughs> we got. Let's think let, let's workshop that a little yeah, bit. Sure. But man, August figures to be just divine, and like you say, pro football on the other side of uh, summertime kicking off, and it, it it really looks like everything's tracking in the right direction there for us to get uh, our most beloved of of all sports. It must be tough to divine I mean tougher obviously we got a good look at um which teams were relevant in terms of chasing the title in the NBA same goes for the NHL and the lag and how that might impact the players notwithstanding I assume that um that that setting the lines the futures for major league baseball here has been especially tough with a 60 game slate
4: coming up right no absolutely I mean we're we're in kind of uncharted uh, grounds of territory and you know you, you're you not just paying attention to injury news now you're paying attention to the COVID news too you know Z- Zion Williamson leaves leaves the camp now who knows what's going on there I hope everything's all right but I'm again I'm just talking from a business standpoint mm-hmm. now he's going to come back who knows how long he's going to be gone when he comes back he's going to have to quarantine is that going to is he going to miss games because of that and is that going to affect you know with that that news came out. And we started getting hit by some some, um, some some bets on the other side. So it, it's just you know crazy. All these situations that are just so unique to all of us in the business. Um, you know, I mentioned all the no action and season win totals, and then putting up. Uh, amended season win tolls for an eight game season for God's sakes so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting few months but we're just so happy the games are back we know there's gonna be some unique situations where you know we're gonna get hit and uh, you know the injury ports are gonna be different than they used to be right uh, yeah it, it will adapt betters will adapt and and as long as the games are on TV tonight, that's all we care about. We'll yeah, I, everybody.
3: I mean, yeah, it's not being cavalier. Obviously, everybody's uh, everybody's aware of how bizarre the the twenty twenty year has been on so many fronts. And I wonder though if there's a, some uh, smart angle of looking at guys in Major League Baseball specifically who have a knack of coming, you know, guys who who light it up in in uh, early season. Uh, perennially guys who, whose bats are hot in, in, you know, April and May, and then they tend to cool off in the second half of, um, focusing on, uh, if, if, um, a team has a preponderance of those guys who fit that description, if they're suddenly become a, a, a nice little sleeper play for you there, that those are the kind of unique things that you can
4: look for. Absolutely. Especially, you know, and and stuff like props too. you know, season leader for home runs, uh, stuff like that. Well, you're, you know, how does, you know, you're throwing out a guy who starts slow and has a great summer. Well, that great summer, that's the start of the season. Now guys, no, we all have those guys who, who don't hit well during the cold months and then when the summer heat man, they, they're, they're, they're lightning in a bottle. So you're going to have to adjust odds accordingly. Okay. That, that player's, Going mean, to be meat and potatoes for two or two and a half months and, uh, right. and go from there. So, absolutely, there's all sorts of angles, and our guys are trying to keep up with it. We have some very sharp bettors here at Bet Online, and they're all over it, too.
3: Well, believe me, I'm looking at uh, the NFL futures as we speak, and uh, uh, given more time, I would go over all 32 with you, give you my uh, my uh, bets on all of those. But let's save that for another day. You know, we don't have to cover sure. it all right now, Dave. Let's uh, let's kick it down the road before things kick off and review all of those, and uh, and maybe we can uh, offer up some uh, Dave Damashek's best bets, and then the listener, the savvy listener, will promptly go against all of those and win a lot of money. <laughs> um with, with with bet online ag but in the meantime thanks for the for the time dave absolutely thanks for having me all right much obliged again to dave mason uh be sure you visit BetOnline.ag and don't forget that promo code podcast one for your sign up bonus bet online your online sportsbook experts